We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ramsdale only came here to eat fish and chips and celebrate in Ruben Neves' face, and he's all out of fish and chips. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. I don't know if you saw the picture. Aaron Ramsdale, at full time. Oh, did he celebrate? He didn't just celebrate. He celebrated directly in Ruben Neves' face. And, like, I'm here for the pettiness. Usually, leave the pettiness to us, the fans. We got you, Aaron. We got this. We know how to be petty. But he's like, no, no, I can be petty, too, and I am here for it. And we, when uh, the world-famous Clive uh, voiced over Aaron Ramsdale's star turn in a fish and chips commercial, he becomes the star of the post-match celebration squarely in Ruben Neves' face, and I love it. Um... We're going to do something a little different today because I just feel like it's such an exciting game. What I want to do, it won't be the whole pod, maybe like the first 45 or 50 minutes, we're all going to take turns analyzing the 538's odds of us finishing top four. So that'll be like the first 45 minutes. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we're not going to do that. This is stupid. Nobody cares about that. We're going to celebrate. We're going to luxuriate in what was really a watershed moment. Feels like a watershed moment. I was saying to Tim off mic, well, we were technically on mic, but we weren't like recording the conversation. Um, I mean, maybe like the NSA was recording the conversation. Anyway, um, just that this this felt like Welbeck against Leicester. Now we know that did not have the ending we would have liked uh, from a season standpoint. So we will have to see if it has uh, a different outcome in terms of the goals we want to achieve this season. And just, just, just before I introduce everyone and get started, uh, it, I said this on live stream yesterday. I am not educated or informed enough to say anything about the crisis in Ukraine that will add to the discussion from like a geopolitical standpoint. So I won't do that. I mean, obviously, if you want, there's plenty of people who are incredibly well-informed who can provide you the information you need. But I can say that my heart, my thoughts, my, you know, my sympathies are with people who are suffering, who are displaced, who are in harm's way, uh, and certainly just wish for the safety and security of, of everybody, you know, always everybody globally, but certainly during this crisis. So that's uh, that's really all I can say on that topic. And with that having been said, I will say hello to Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And Tim, you can find him on Twitter at Stuberto. Hello, Tim. 
Hello there. Yeah, nobody uh, nobody begged off this podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> Everybody's like, yes, I, I would be happy to discuss that game if you need me. Thank you. Uh, and I think we need everybody, all hands on deck, because what, what a game. Um, you know, I, I want to start from the end, and then we'll wind our way back, because I think it's such a big moment that just connecting with the emotion of it is important. Um, so, Tim, I'll start with you. Obviously, mm. you... I mean, I guess it, w- at one point in time, it would have been accurate to say you attend every single game. Now you just attend, I mean, let's face it, Fairweather fan, like 95% of the game. I, I pick um, and choose, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do. There's there's at least at least a handful of games a season you don't make it to. You, yeah, yeah. Absolute disgrace. But um, this, I'm curious how this ranks for you in terms of sort of Emirates moments. You know, when I, and this is me from afar, when I think of Emirates moments that live in the memory, there's Arshavin against Barcelona, which was sort of the first christening of the Emirates Stadium, it felt like, in terms of big moments. There's the Welbeck winner, there's your fairy tale, and then there's this one, the Wolves time-wasting, um, get-what-you-pay-for moment. I'm curious sort of how this ranks, and just the the atmosphere, which I felt was fantastic throughout the game. There was real support behind the team, um, which isn't always the case when you go down you know, early at home and, and it was just a special, special night at the Emirates. So I'm curious what you felt like in terms of the atmosphere and where this ranked. Yeah. In terms of where it ranks, like I wasn't at the Spurs game earlier this season. So, um, at like absolutely the best game I've been to this season, um, certainly for atmosphere and, and in terms of atmosphere and the result, yeah, it, it's kind of up there with that Leicester game, but obviously the, the Leicester game meant less because of what um, what followed after it, what follows after this will be will be quite interesting. I thought it was really interesting that Arteta said afterwards, I prefer to win this game like this than 3-0 because we're building something here. And I think he recognised like that this there's a real high. This is a real high winning this game. One of the things I was reflecting on last night, actually I was listening to the instant reaction on my way home and I was thinking, Arsenal have won their last two home games 2-1. But like, how how different were those two ones really? Um, and and in terms of the atmosphere, I think you're absolutely right. I think I I think we could see that the team was on it. Like at half time, I was thinking, I think Arsenal are playing well, and I was thinking we might not get anything out of this because Wolves are so good defensively. But I can see the intensity in the team. I can see the intent. And uh, there were a few times where things just didn't come off. And I, I was just thinking, just keep doing this. Keep doing this, even if it's a draw, because it's Wolves. They don't tend to concede two goals. Just keep going. And there was a real like um, connection and intensity. And I think, you know, it's chicken or egg. I don't know which came first, the team or the fans. But um, I, I think you could really see it. And I, I saw a really interesting post, actually. Someone pointed out the way the winner comes about and how patient the build-up is. Like Saka has it wide and he doesn't just lob a cross in. He comes in field and he shoots and then it goes back out to the other wing and Erdgaard and Pepe work the chance. Like, you know, and, and uh, I, I can't remember who it was, but the tweets were saying, this is a team that believes in the process. Basically, it's the 95th minute. They've been banging on the door for like 80 odd minutes now and they're still doing like the things that the coach would ask them to do. I and, think it and actually it, starts from deep even earlier, doesn't it? I mean, they yeah. have to build it goes all the way back, the back to, to Gabriel. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and that's like, in the, that's at the teeth end of the game, 95th minute. And I think what you're seeing is like, um, I, I think we've known for a long time, the players are, are pretty bought in um, with Arteta and what's going on. And I think you can, and the fans have been bought in with the team. 
definitely. But I think you can see like a real mutual, dare I say, trust of the process coming out. And and I think some things added to it as well, like a, a good friend of mine who I go to games with, also called Tim, he always says like the worst thing a team can do at the Emirates when they're leading is waste time because it just gets everyone pissed off mm. and it like makes the crowd angry and you know whether the players feed off that energy and so there was that into it and obviously there was like the context that we played each other a fortnight ago and and things like that so there there was a real buzz all the way through and all I can tell you is today I've got like I've spent half of today deliberating whether I've actually broken my thumb because <laughs> I did it to my pinky. I did it to my pinky with a high five at the time. <laughs> well, cause I've got, like I sit in the front row, of the upper tier, I've got the advertising hoarding ahead of me. And like when, you know, um, uh, Jimenez was having a shave and having a trim before he like <laughs> wouldn't run. Oh no, we've, oh, we've accidentally tried to substitute. Oh, oh no. Oh, oh I fell over oh, all that bullshit. Like the advertising hoarding in front of me got a bit of a walloping. Um, and then it got another walloping <laughs> when Lacazette <laughs> scored. And I'm calling it Lacazette scoring, by the way. And, yes, and I've got, it will forever be known that way on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And I've got an enormous bruise on my knee from where I crashed into, you know, the the bit in front of me when this got, you know, just like the best kind of, you, you know you've been at a game when you've got, like some some war wounds basically <laughs> yeah ideally not from the firms meeting up afterward but no. from the celebration of a goal yeah i mean so many things right like i mean the, the adrenaline was pumping so hard for me i can't imagine what it must be like obviously for the players and like you know when paul and i turned on the mics to do the instant reaction obviously clive sent in his message from the ground like my brain was not functioning. Like I could not get yeah. the adrenaline to slow down and people have let me know that was some I, of the things I had to say on that episode. To be I fair. got home and usually from a midweek game, like I'll have a little scroll through Twitter. Maybe I'll scroll through Twitter in bed or something, but I got home and I was like, you know, I don't know, half 11 or something. I was like, there's no chance I can sleep in the next hour at least. And I just went and like sat on the sofa <laughs> and scrolled Twitter because I was like, there's, there's just no point in even getting into bed. I was still, I still had that adrenaline surge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just so, so much emotion. Like I, I do feel really happy for Lacazette that he, and you saw what it meant to him. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about him, the ups and downs of his performance. And, and obviously the way the game finished a little bit later on, I think it's interesting. Cause one of the debates that happens a lot, and by the way, I have to say right at full time, I was like, can we play tomorrow? Can we play right away? But I think we've actually caught a break that we don't play for nine days or so. Cause you look at Spurs, for example, hilariously and laugh at them. They beat City, and then they have to turn around a few days later and go to Burnley, and that's the trap game. And I do think that sometimes the emotion of something like this can mess with your brain and prevent you from really doing the block and tackle stuff you need to in the next game, but we have enough time now to come down from it. So I actually think that can be a help. I do love the time-wasting discourse because it totally paid off for us at the Molyneux, and it totally backfired for them at the Emirates. But Clive, like in terms of the atmosphere and things like this, I do think that there's something happening with the football we're playing that plays into this because there's always this debate. Is it the job of the team to get the fans behind them or the job of the fans to just, you know, get the team up? And, like, there were numerous times during the game where we saw, like, Martinelli trying to G up the crowd and, like, the, fa- the, the players trying to get the crowd fired up. But also, the way we're playing now, the possession, the slick passing, the number of shots, the amount of times we're pushing them back, it's so easy to get behind the way we're playing that even down a goal, I think it was easy for the crowd to stay engaged. You know, if this was six months ago and 
you know, we're trying to play back to front. We've got 45% possession and, you know, we wind up with seven shots at full time. That can be a hard sort of soporific slog to get behind. But the intensity of the way we play now, I think connects with the, with the fans too. So that really helps. And I, I wonder if like, you know, obviously uh, you and I were at the Palace game earlier this season when we got the Lacazette equalizer versus this game. And in that game, Clive, the crowd started to get restless because there were long swaths of the game where we just ceded possession and ceded the impetus to them. And that the opposite was the case tonight. So I'm curious how you sort of compare and contrast and how exhilarating it was to be there and how much the way we're playing maybe feeds into that exhilaration. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a people thing. I have to say this. Um, it's all about building relationships. right? So to do that, if you value the people in the crowd, in the club, the players, then you've got to make sure, number one, you do things properly. You have the right people committed to your process. Right? That's number one thing the club has got to do. If they can put the right people in front of us, the crowd, we sense it. So you get some form of connection. Connectivity is back. You know, you, you know, fans are not stupid, and the club has worked that out, right? So they know when a player's committed, and then they they invest. If they invest, the atmosphere changes, the connection changes. You get patience, you get time, you get an environment to build, you get an environment to grow, and your old ways of looking at the team they need to be pushed to one side because you're being presented something different. There was a ferocity to that game which really stood out to me, and I've been quite a lot this year. No shock, right? Why have I gone quite a lot this year? Because it's good. It's really good. And everyone is invested and it feels different. It's felt different from the first preseason game I've been to. I've been talking about yeah, it. You've been saying that. Yeah. I've been saying from the first preseason game, there's another world out there. And it's not all on online. It's 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 in that ground, it's in the surrounding areas, it's in all the pubs and it's it's in all the food shops, all the fish and chip shops, it's everywhere. People are investing. And they're trying to give it some patience. So my my experience of any sort of change cycle, one of the things you do, you've got to work out who's committed. That's the key thing. And that, that transmits itself. Now, in the ground last night, um, for me, and obviously everyone's got a personal experience, I felt there was a tension in, in, in the first half. Now, was it just me? Because I was worried about Wolves. Um, but I felt there was a tension. I didn't see that tension manifests itself into negative energy to the team. But there's a, there's a few, ah, oh, oh, a bit like that. It's a bit like that. But it was all from a good place because they wanted it to be better. They wanted us to recover from the mistake that we made. Mm. And so I did feel attention. I did feel players were overhitting simple passes or underhitting passes. But it was all well-intentioned. Do you see what I mean, Elliot? I can't describe the difference between somebody just not good enough versus somebody who's absolutely trying to do the right thing and just overheat it. Do you see what I mean? And that's the difference. But then you look around and and people laugh and Arteta said this and he speaks about body language and not criticising your players and making sure you, you give your players encouragement and as teammates give your players encouragement. When I'm watching this team play... I'm not seeing anyone having to go at each other. I'm not seeing any of that. I'm seeing a team that's absolutely unified. If they're unified, well, who the hell are us fans not to be unified with them? Does that mean yeah. it's really yeah. changing? And this is why people need to understand what he's doing. I, I don't think people do. I honestly don't think they do. He's really developing something here that we can be proud of. And whether you like 
a substitution or you like a certain player. It's immaterial because the direction of travel is only going one way. And it could, by the way, margins are fine. I've just seen the Pedro Neto shot online, which hit yeah. Gabriel's knee and went past the post. I mean, he's a brilliant player. But we got a goal kick for that too. <laughs> and we got a goal kick. If that goes in the bottom corner, oh, this today feels different, right? But again, you could say Gabriel got his distances just right and did a great block and got it round the post. That's how small the margins are. The margins against Man City didn't go for us. The margins went for us in this game. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And um, very simple. I am so pleased with what we're seeing. But more importantly, I'm so pleased that everyone else is so pleased, if that makes sense. Because yeah. in that ground last night was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I sat in club level and they were singing in there. They were singing in the bars. I tell you, I've rarely seen so many happy faces at that ground. <clears throat> rarely seen so many. And, I, and I'm not over-egging it. And I still feel it today, uh, how many hours later. And I don't want to change it. I've been walking around singing Lacazette song in my head all day and I don't want it to disappear. It's been a fantastic day as an Arsenal fan. It, it has. And I mean, this is the thing that is easy to forget. And I think Andrew said this on the Arscast, you know, that <clears throat> too often there is this internecine warfare within the Arsenal community, but it's driven by the challenges the club has been going through. And what's been created recently, and I think the, the refereeing debacles have helped with this, is an us-against-them mentality, which sure does beat an us-against-us mentality. And you see it, it with the fans a little bit more. You also see it within the team. But, you know, I, I do think that the sort of ridicule figures, there aren't quite as many of those, obviously, in the team anymore. The the way we're playing, I think, is a lot easier to get behind. And I, I've tried to articulate this in the past, and I haven't always said it the way I'd like to. But I think my point is that, for me, when the football looks right, when when I see a process on the pitch and players on the pitch doing the kinds of things that I think long-term can deliver you where you want to go, then I'm much more ready to ride the ups and downs. I'm much more ready to accept that, okay, a, you know, a Gabriel makes a blind back pass to the keeper and gets it wrong and, the, and they get a goal because it's frustrating. But like when you have 27 shots and you create a lot of pressure and there's a lot of one-touch passing and you know there's pressing and you're winning the ball back, like it's just easy to get behind that. And And Paul, I think... This is the thing that, that I want to get to before we then go into the individual moments of the game. There are, there are vulnerabilities and downsides to every single type of football you can play. You know, if you want to play low block, bunker in, very defensive long ball football, there are downsides to that. If you want to play pressing football, there are risks associated with that. You know, every type of football has risks. And in this game, we saw the risks of the type of football we're trying to play now. Less of a net more up the pitch, more driven to create chances and find openings. But we got caught on the counter a few times. And I think people, you know, sort of messaged me on various channels to be like, do we need to worry about the way we did get cut open a bit? And do we need to worry that, you know, some of our defensive solidity isn't there as much? And I would argue, Paul, that like, I will take that for the trade-off, which is now we can get a couple of goals to win a game where we've fallen behind. We can create I mean, I think we had 2.7 expected goals against Wolves, and the only team that's matched that this season, I think, is Liverpool and City away. And that's it. And Wolves had won four away in a row. Um, you know, I think they had the second best defensive record in the league. So do you see my point that, like, we may have to tolerate 
just a few more cracks in the armor defensively. But it comes at the, you know, the, the what we lose in defense comes in favor of this football now that I think can deliver us a much more dominant approach and, and a lot more goal scoring opportunity. Yeah. You got to take risks. Yeah. Um, you're not like we, what, 27 shots, as did Clive apparently um, last <laughs> night. You, you got to take risks, as did Clive. Um, to be fair to Clive, to be fair to Clive, he he was he was high in adrenaline. Uh, it was it was not a heavy night for Clive. He's here. He's clear. It wasn't a light night. It was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I take it back. I was trying, so, trying to get your back there. Stop trying to besmirch my reputation. I'm trying to build. Well, yeah. 27 shots, man. We can't we can't have that out there. Like people are going to worry about your longevity. Go, go ahead, Paul. Sorry. Um, the thing is, it was a process, right? It wasn't like. You can't go back six or 12 months ago and say, well, we should have just done this then, right? Mm-hmm. The problem with the process, the, the making of the sausage is ugly. And unfortunately, we got to see all the making of the sausage. Like, you can't get to here without starting from there and going through the process. So we, we've we gone through it. You might say we could have got there quicker, but but like more goes wrong than right, right? Like you, lots of shit goes on along the way, lots of stuff we don't even see. Hopefully this uh, Amazon Prime documentary that's forming in parallel will reveal a lot more and will be a hell of a watch. I think last night was some more good content for it. Um, Absolutely no surprise that if you had to pick a team to do one of these things about, we're going to deliver the most insane (laughs) narrative structure for that documentary possibly. Yeah, I don't think we're even really trying. And yet this (laughs) stuff, like Arsenal content is just the best, even when the team sucks. So like, here we are, we're finally uh, got the toothpaste into the final third, in and around the edge of the box. We haven't really fully mastered our patterns in the box, our finding, but we're like... It's it's getting there. It's coming. We're creating those chances. And like, yeah, look, if you spend your time in the final third in the box attacking, you're taking risks uh, against a team like Wolves. Like, this is how they do it. I thought it was like the guys had the experience of being in the crowd uh, at the game, but we had the experience of watching Paul Ince's punditry afterwards. What a miserable miserable fucker i'd forgotten how miserable he was um going on about how worrying our performance was and like i'd take i'd take 38 worrying performances like that a season (laughs) yeah uh it it makes it like but i think there's like you could dismiss it and not talk about it but i think there's something in there in that i think we're not quite sure how good this performance was but you got to first say hang on this is wolves they're hurting everybody. They're making everybody look bad. They've, um, I think it's 45 games they've gone to goal up and not lost, but we just beat them. Exactly how pretty did uh, anybody think this performance was going to be? How flawless? Like, how do Wolves do it? They stop you. They make you look bad once they get a goal up. They And like... A lot of the punditry afterwards was teaching your grandmother to suck eggs in the sense that it was all this, oh, well, Wolves shouldn't have played so defensively, shouldn't have sat. You're telling Wolves how to defend a 1-0 lead? Wolves did exactly what Wolves know how to do. And part of that is neutralizing the opposition, 
making it clunky, blocking the centre so that that team feels they haven't played well, so that their supporters think it wasn't the performance. Like, this was a great fucking performance. I thought so, yeah. And by the way, Ruben Neves agrees with you. I think he said, we didn't play well. We didn't have enough of the ball. They pushed us back. And when they do that, you know, you're at risk. So, yeah, I, I think... I think this is the kind of performance that I'd like to see more of. And I, you know, Tim, so like, let's go through some of the incidents and like the the first, uh, we'll go through two quickly. The first one is just the early penalty shout. And like, again, nothing gives me more pleasure than not having to talk about refereeing. And to be fair, we got away with some. I mean, Ben White had a hilariously cynical trip. That was great. Um, Yeah, that was great. I mean, Gabriel did deflect a shot out for what should have been a corner that we were given a, a goal kick for, which helped us at that time of the game. But, like, the the early penalty shout, I sort of wasn't as caught up in it, in part because it was so early in the game and we had cut them open so beautifully right from the start. Uh, you know, naturally from Saka's side, where everything early, where everything good early was going through. But did you, I mean, at the ground, I know it can be hard sometimes mm. to, to know what's happened, but in retrospect, do you have any strong lean on the, the early penalty shout? No, not at all. I didn't notice it at the time. And I have to be honest, I don't think it was a penalty. Mm. Like I've looked at it a lot of times. There might be something I'm missing because a lot of other people seem to be quite firm on it. But it looked to me more like a block um, than anything. I I don't really think that was a penalty. Um, There was certainly no shout for it at the time. Yeah, I think it goes more to my point that like for some reason, all the 50-50 calls just don't seem to go for us this season. It's not mm-hmm. that I think we're not getting Stonewall stuff particularly. I mean, there's some of it, obviously. But, um, well, so that that's a more minor incident. The big incident, obviously, is when we, we concede. And, mm. I, you know, I think this is where the intention to play is a little interesting. Because there were times in this game where I got a little frustrated with Tierney for just hacking the ball out for a throw when I thought he could have, you know, controlled it, gotten it to a teammate. But, like... Yep you know, part of the intention to play and keep the ball in play and keep the ball moving and and keep possession is that occasionally you're going to get it wrong. And Gabriel Mm -hmm. gets it wrong. I I don't know what, in the moment I thought Ramsdale could have done, like he sort of, he hesitates. I think he's going to go down and collect it and then realizes it's a back pass and then he doesn't have time to get back from his feet. White goes to sleep a little bit so he's not there to cover the, the goal. But it's a Gabriel error. I mean, do you think that this is just one of those things that you chalk up to saying, look, the team wants to keep, the ball in possession, they want to keep recycling, they want mm-hmm. to keep playing it, and every once in a while you just make a boneheaded error. We haven't done it in a very long time. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those shit happens things. To your point about Tierney as well, actually, it's interesting you say that. Um, I had a couple next to me last night who are listeners to the podcast, by the way, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm mortified they've seen who I really am, uh, <laughs> having sat next to me for an hour and a half uh, <laughs> a game. But because um, because I had that, like, I, I didn't like scream. We are just like there was a point where Tierney, as you say, like he just launched it out of play when they played it down the line, and I thought mm-hmm. he should have gone back to to Ramsdale, and I kind of went, oh like just to myself but actually the guy next to me said yeah but that's that's how we conceded the goal five minutes ago right yeah. Gabriel on his wrong foot basically which is exactly the situation Tierney was in so I kind of thought yeah actually good point fair enough like there's 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 a bit of trauma there better safe than sorry but ultimately I, I think it was just a confluence of things I think you're right like um it's it's one of those shit happens things. Ben White wasn't expecting it, so wasn't quite there. I don't think Ramsdale was expecting that. I think also it was a pass that probably should have been played with the right foot, um, just in terms of the angle. If you're if you're angling the ball back to the goalkeeper, the right foot would have been the better option there. With the left foot, it was a much more square pass, and that's that's always a lot more risky. 
Um, so it, it was like that. I do think um, one of my kind of takeaways from this game is actually that in a way, because when that happened, like, you know, I've, I've kind of researched Wolves a lot this season. And if you look at their scores, it's like binary code. <laughs> lots of ones and zeros one nil one nil zero zero yeah zero, and zero, i thought one. oh jesus like we've given them a goal like we've given them a goal and that's a that's a bad decision that's a bad position to be in and i was thinking right okay i i i, I do this thing with myself when we're one nil down and it's like almost like it actually matters like almost like cashing out and gambling like at what stage would you accept the draw because you're Clock always wanted like, it pre-match for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was, and yeah, 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 and and I was thinking that during the game as well. And you know, but you keep thinking to yourself, no, even if we equalise in like the 80th minute, there is time to score after that. Um, but I, I think what the goal did for us in a weird way, the Wolves' goal that is, it set a very definite pattern for the game, and. I think this team has kind of thrived in that situation recently where you think about Anfield where we go 10 men with half an hour gone and we've got 60 minutes of defending at Anfield and it's like, right, that's the assignment. We're taking off Eddie Nketiah, we're putting Rob Holding on and fuck it, we're defending the penalty area. Last half an hour at the Molyneux, at Molyneux same deal. Right, we're down to 10 like sod getting the second goal the assignment here is very clear on comes rob holding who's like carved out a niche for himself for when arsenal go down to 10 men which happens a lot but this time it was right okay like now the pattern of the game is really set and we have to go on to them and i think also as the game progressed like wolves had chances right on the counter attack but i think in the last 30 minutes they basically surrendered as an attacking force. And what happened was that the assignment for Arsenal became very, very clear. And so you see some of those substitutions. The fact that we literally played without a right-back for the last 15 minutes, like not even a makeshift right-back, there was just nobody there. Just one, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just like sometimes it was Ben White, sometimes it was Gabriel, but that was right below me. And that space was just empty. That was like a ma- very un-Arteta and almost um, produced a disaster because when Pepe yeah. gets sort of roasted down the sideline, that that produced a very dangerous opportunity. Yeah, and and at that exact moment, Arteta called for um, he called for Tavares, and I think Tavares was going to come on at right back, but then Tierney, Tierney went down, and so he brought him on at left. But I think because he he called for him the second that happened, I thought right, he's going to bring Tavares on at right back. So uh, I, I think in a way, it kind of helped us because which is easy to say now, but had it been nil-nil on 60-65 minutes, I think you've got more to worry about on the counter from Wolves. Whereas with them holding a 1-0 lead, it was almost like, yeah, we can play without a right back <laughs> yeah. pretty much at the moment. Like We can take that risk. We couldn't take that risk at nil-nil, I don't think. So in many ways, again, hindsight, glorious, etc. In many ways, I think it helped, and particularly for it to happen that, early it just edged the game in a particular direction which i think and i think that clarity actually really worked for us after the goal yeah but i've seen so many games where arsenal have fallen behind and just sort of been held at bay and you know sort of like a lot of passing around the horseshoe or a lot of passing you know between the center backs and the full backs and i definitely didn't get that sense in this game Uh, clive 
Can I, other, I, sorry, yeah. I just wanted to, sorry, mate, one final yeah. point. Mm-hmm. I, I know Paul said on the instant reaction, I thought it was a really good point that Arsenal are playing for 90 minutes now. And, and I think that's absolutely right. Like, I think even a few months ago, it would have been, well, let's wait till half time to sort it out. Like, we'd, we'd have thrown away the half. You know, but we didn't. We were we were back on it, and and like with five minutes to go till half time, I was thinking, I, I think we deserve an equaliser here, and and I think that's important. I think the message at halftime of this game would have been very similar to the one at the halftime of Brentford, which is if you keep playing like this, you'll get what you deserve for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and, and the games kind of kind of remind me of one another. Uh, Clive, one other incident that I want to touch on, and maybe it get, comes to the system a little bit after they get their goal. There is a pretty scary moment with the Raul Jimenez shot that he drags wide. And it was the first time I've sort of seen the flaws in the new 4-3-3-ish type system because Shaka gets bypassed. He gets he gets run beyond and, and can't recover that space. And they sort of pick a pocket in our midfield that isn't covered. And they get between the center backs. You know, Gabriel's a little bit at sea. And I think it's the first time we're not having the double pivot shape really exposed a weakness in terms of the way we can be counterattacked on. And to be fair, it didn't happen again in the game, really. Not through that central space. And a lot of times, I think what we do is we keep one of the fullbacks now, either you know, either Tierney when we're attacking up the right or Cedric when we're attacking up the left, back in or more of a line of three shielding. And we hadn't recovered that shape in time for this move. But I'm wondering if you think, like, that's just the one thing to keep an eye on with this new shape, the, the way we have to protect those counterattacks through central spaces because the, the way they went right by Shaka and then into the pocket of space pass party and between the center backs was worryingly easy. <laughs> On that one occasion, maybe. I think it was Wang yeah. who had the shot went just past the post. And no, I th- wasn't it Jimenez from top of the box? Oh, I am, think am it, I out of my mind? The one I'm thinking about is Wang. Anyway, the one I'm thinking yeah, it was no, so... Was, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was Jimenez. It... it like, it's the yeah. Go to ahead. give you a bit of context, like nobody has anybody. We have enough players back. It's just we don't have the guy passing from deep. We don't have Jimenez. We don't have the runner. Come back to the microphone, Paul. It'll help. Yeah, everybody's between <laughs> a player. I think we're rattled at that point. It's just after the goal. Mm. Uh, we're trying to attack. There's a turnover, and like n- we've got like five, six players back, but nobody's next to anybody. Well, nobody's watching their player. Regardless of that, I guess, Clive, the, the yeah. point I wanted to ask is more system-oriented, which is like the, the trade-offs of this new balance of of where we're putting Shaq and Odegaard versus party. Like, do, like is that is that sort of the next thing to keep an eye on? Because now teams are getting a lot of video, you know, footage of being, they can watch how we're setting up and, and how they might try to exploit that space. I think when... Evolution of tactics, right, in-game is, is the key thing. And think about on and off the ball. So, mm-hmm. you know, off the ball, we sometimes are up in a 4-4-2. You know, so if we have time to get into shape, we we, we go 4-4-2 off the ball. You know, and on the ball, we're, we're looking more like a 4-3-3 at the moment. Um, sometimes we go into a double 6 4 2 3 one I, I, don't, I don't get hung up on it, mate, if I'm honest with you. The most mm-hmm. important thing is you evolve and you buy players who can evolve with you, right? So if you look at Wolves in this game, in the first game they played Trinkau as one of the wingers. He was a bit light. We smashed him about a bit. This time they played Wang, who I thought was excellent. He was more powerful. He, he pinned our players back a bit more. 
that means they could go, they could literally say, well, Arsenal don't play much in centre midfields. We're going to push them back and we're going to go into those wide areas and we're going to pin them so they can't overload and get their pods going in the wide areas. I thought Wolves evolved their tactics superbly and they caught us out. We had a look, we kept going, we kept our intensity high, we kept pushing forward, we were a little bit tense, as I said earlier on, but the ferocity and the, the you know, the absolute in, raw, raw desire to get a goal, I agree with Tim massively, I thought we scored before half-time, you know, it was, it was there for us, right, so, and then we evolved the tactics again, and Arteta deserves a big clap for it, right, going, you know, taking a defender off, put another forward on, put a forward next to Lacazette who was blowing out of his arse. How many formations we play in this one game? So when people say systems, no, bollocks, mate. It's just about finding the solutions. That's what it's about. Finding solutions that the other coaches offered you. And yep. maybe taking a risk and a gamble. You know, we had to go man on man at the back for for long periods and say, right, how much do you want this? Do you want it? Are you prepared to let us? Because we're going one-on-one. I tell you what, they didn't. They didn't want it for long. They went further and further and further back. We pushed them back, controlled the territory, and ended up controlling the result. I mean, that is a wonderful game of football, where the tactics and the problems that you face during the game had to be solved from the sidelines and solved by the players. There were players in that game who I felt sacrificed themselves significantly even though they were put into positions that don't suit them. And number one for me was Granit Xhaka in that game. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I thought he he put himself into areas where he looked like a hot carrier. But he he knows the team needed him to do it. So rather than stand off and play the game that you want to play, no, I need to do this. I need to get myself around here. I need to push up. I need to push up and push them back. I need to take positions that allow me to get marked. And even though when the ball comes to me, I've gone completely dark, I've got no picture, that's not really my game. I'm normally facing the other direction. I'm pinging the ball left and right. And when I see that, and I'm watching this, I'm there nodding going, yeah, you'll do for me. I don't care whether you've got concrete in your boots on occasion when I want you to fade the pass because you are bought in and invested, right? So problem solving and tactics. I know people all think, oh, we're 4-3-3 now. And I watched, you know, I watched the highlights of Dortmund versus Rangers last night. Rangers is my one of my other favourite teams. And I watched Jude Bellingham with hearts in my eyes. I watched him and thought, oh my goodness, if you could play in this team, my life would be sorted. In that game scenario, where we're pushing teams back and we've got a left eight that can do a bit, travel, carry, shoot, one, two, arrive in the box and slot it. He's perfect, but not every game is going to be like that, right? So this is what people got to realise. We need people that can mould into a six, into an eight, into different roles for the different game scenarios that we're going to need to play on and off the ball. So I didn't see any weaknesses in the system. I just saw a team that was desperate to overcome their opponent, desperate to not allow Wolves to be celebrating in our dressing rooms and playing their music loud and singing their songs because we'd given it to them the week, a couple of weeks previously. And mm-hmm. some of the structures that we we saw were thrown out the window for the desire to get the result. And, uh, and, and I, really, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, the, the thing I would say, too, about the Shaq thing, it's funny because I was um, critical of him in the instant reaction. Not critical per se, but I think it's because I see what we're doing on the right-hand side with Odegaard and, you know, the runs outside of the fullback and the, you know, the underlapping and overlapping runs and the one-twos with Saka and the dropping into pockets of space and just the way he pulls all the strings. 
And Shaka obviously cannot do some of the stuff the left eight needs to be doing. There's just some things. I mean, there was one moment where we won the ball back up the pitch, which he did a number of times, and the ball comes to Shaka, and Martinelli's in behind, and he just smashes the through ball out in a touch um, with plenty of space to play it into. And, like, you're right. He doesn't have all the pictures. He doesn't have all the passes for the left eight. The, the little dagger ball in behind the, the center back and the fullback's not there. But one thing that I saw him do, which is interesting, first of all, engine, right? The, the fact that with the last 10 or 15 minutes to go, he looked stronger than he did in the first 15 minutes. He he never faded. But also, I saw him start to step around a man or get the ball out of his feet quicker. And he is evolving a little bit to do it. And so I see the way that the team can evolve maybe beyond him in that role because it, it doesn't really suit him. But his engine, his ability to you know really be fully at his best late in the game when we needed him and just a little bit more elusiveness in his game was good to see. So, Clive, I guess it's one of those things that like, you, you can recognize, sort of like Lacazette, who will come on to, obviously, that there's there's an evolution beyond there's a future that without them. and there's, still be yeah be praise praiseworthy for for the performance you put in. Yeah, there's a future without them, and I, and I want I don't know how I'm, I'm going to find a better way to articulate this, but evolution of tactics is really important. You know, much like everyone watched Spurs play last weekend, and Burnley just said, "Yeah, we'll sort you out next game." The evolution of how you play is the key, and I know you're starting to see something that we like, but I'm not invested in it because it could change again, and I want it to change again. But I don't want us to be stopped, and players that are flexible, that are maybe hybrid players that understand the game, different parts of the pitch, different zones, interior, exterior, is what we want to be buying. And when you're looking for the future players, they've got to be able to do two or three roles comfortably. And uh, and and when we have that, we can put out a 15-16 squad and we're not sure how they're going to play. And that's really, really where we want, where we want to get to. Yeah, yeah, well said. I it is I think it's also the point, right, that like there are players in this team that we are learning about, and there are players in this team we've known for a long time. Um and so some of our you know, some of our opinions on some of those players may be a bit sclerotic, right? Because it, you know, or calcified because they, they've been around a while. And we maybe need to be open-minded to learning, and I need to be open-minded about learning a bit more about who they are. But, Paul, to me, the way good teams thrive, and I've heard this described before by other coaches and, and by other sort of tactical analysts who know a lot more about the game than me. Imagine that there are people like that. Um, that one of the things you want to do when you're a great team, is have your best players tasked with huge responsibility. Load them up with big responsibility to solve problems for you. And it it creates openings for everybody else. And the player that I think more than anyone else maybe is being given that job right now is Thomas Party. I think Thomas Party's role early on in his time at Arsenal was more complementary in that double pivot system. And I'm not sure we always saw the best. But now... It is very much that he is being given the ball with two guys charging down on him or no time to react or no opportunity to really assess the situation. And, and his quickness of, of thought and feet and his elusiveness, it's it's so important to our ability to, to keep possession and push, pu- push other players like Odegaard, now Shaka, Saka and Martinelli up the pitch. Um you know, I think sometimes we look at physiques. You know, we look at Odegaard. Um, oh, he's a 10, and we have a thought in our mind of what that is. Well, actually, he's an all-engine, cover-the-most-ground, run-everywhere, never-stop-running player. Thomas Party, you see the physique, and you think power. 
you think enforcer, but there's a Santi Cazorla in there. And I, I think the way we are giving him so much responsibility right now, he's thriving with it. And it feels like that's been crucial to unlocking the the more front-footed game that we have now. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Look, it was clear that the Wolves' strategy was to stop party. Um, and so they get their goal. And we've got about three, four, five minutes where we look kind of rattled. And you're looking for somebody to take over the game for us. And party steps up, starts dancing through their play- players, spinning, uh, getting the ball off, setting us off up the pitch. Um, but they're still marking him. So his his partnership with Ben White is key because every now and then he'll lay it back to Ben White who'll chip it over the top to Saka. So those two in particular, I think, stepped up. But party was immense. I mean, at the end of the day, um, he can do it all. Uh, he's got the passing, the vision. He's got the calm. He's got the physicalities when he needs to lean into that. Um and his partnerships, uh, he, had, he he used White in some ways. He used Odegaard. He used Lacazette up the middle to get his central access. He he had his partner in crime, Chaka, as his outball to the other side. And the two fullbacks would pop up to to give us the, the additional players in midfield. Because that's the thing about Chaka being forward up. Uh, uh, far up the pitch and us being a little exposed, that's why you pull your your full backs into midfield to give you the cover if mm. there's a turnover, which is what didn't happen in the Jimenez chance. And so um, to Clive's point, there isn't a formation or a set system. It's kind of this dynamic thing that's kind of li- living and breathing, the lungs kind of going in and out uh, and adapting. And so um, y- you have these relationships around party that I think were key, um, but it's all, it, for me it was all about party. That's what brought us back into the game. I can think of other seasons where we didn't have the midfield to kind of put their foot on the ball, uh, take control of the game, and and start moving the opposition back and moving them around and moving it side to side. I think party was immense. Uh, and White was almost as significant, especially in the first half, because we needed to put our thumb on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, to be fair, he fades a couple of balls over the top to Saka, but one that, I mean, if we're going to criticize Lacazette sometime for not getting his shot off, the one he fades over to Saka, where Saka takes just a little too long, the defender's able to get back. Like that, that should be an assist and an absolute, you know, picture book assist. Yeah, he hesitates. I don't think his first. I mean, it's, these things are tough, right? But I don't think his first touch with his left, Saka's first touch with his left foot is perfect. It's okay. And then he's got the defender swooping in on him, but he takes too long to get a shot off. And I think that's where he picks up the, the limp he has for the rest of the game. Um, the, yeah. He gets yeah. clattered by the guy uh, coming across him. It was probably Feckin Kilman or it something. to affect him. 400 it, it, pounds of Kilman. It is interesting because it's like, I, I, I think... W- there was some criticism for Martinelli's game and I, look, I'm an apologist for him and I'll admit that I tend to see the good and, and I tend not to see the bad. And like, we all have players that we favor and and see the good in and players that maybe we tend to see not the good. in. <laughs> like I'm as guilty of that as anyone, but I do think the fact that you've got Ben white fading balls over the top on the right hand side, you got Martin Odegaard playing one twos on the right hand side. And then over on the left, you have 
you know, Gabriel, who's not as good a passer, Shaka, who for all of his hard work and good work is not going to unlock a defense the way Odegaard will. I don't think it's any accident, by the way, that like, you know, Pepe becomes so influential, but from the right. And why do we put Pepe on the right? Because we trust Saka to take more responsibility on his own on the left. But Pepe gets the benefit of, of exchanging, you know, passes and, and, and Kedia too with Odegaard, who's absolutely central to both goals in his own right. So, you know, it is um, it is just a little bit of a, a difference right now that the right-hand side, I think both in white and in Odegaard, has the more dangerous lock pickers, so to speak. Um, and to Tim, be fair, yep. party tends to lean to the right because Jack is to the left. I mean, it doesn't, it should be nice and symmetric, but it isn't like, so you, you even have party over to the right. There's a lot going on on the right that the left doesn't have. It's the left is typically our more direct wing, our faster mm. wing with Martinelli, Tierney or Smith row. And that's okay. Right. We, we build cleverly up the right and we, we swoop in up the left. Both yeah. Works. And I mean, I, you know, I think, I I think that like it, it'd be fun to see maybe more switching in game so that Martinelli attacks the right hand side a bit. Saka can come in off the left because I think what Saka can do, he can unlock a defense by himself, just you know by dribbling defenders. Whereas I think Martinelli is more about making the run and the delivery. The the two chances that he had, the stab finish that I thought was really inventive and, and excellent, that just misses the far, I guess sort of the the angle, the right angle is um, a pullback, a cutback, and then the one where he tries to lift it over the keeper first time is a beautifully chipped pass. Ironically, when Odegaard had drifted left and plays it over the defender into Martinelli's run. So, Tim, uh, before we sort of shift gears to talk a little bit of Lacazette and, and obviously just the more about the emotion of of the win, um, you know, I, Thomas Party, I think you and I in particular have voiced opinions about, like, thinking there's more in there. And I think some of the frustration with the yeah. player wasn't, a doubting of the talent, but a doubting of the impact we were getting relative to the talent. And I think mm-hmm. the role he's being given now really does bring that to the fore. I thought this was a Thomas Party game. And it it's funny because if you think about like the, the best teams in, in the league, like City and, and Liverpool, you don't hear the names of the guys at the base of their midfield very often. But they mm-hmm. absolutely make things tick. And when they're not there, they're not as good a team. So it's it's not going to be the role that gets the headlines. But I think seeing how well he's playing in this role, he deserves that credit because it's. I think he's been an absolute game changer for us. Yeah, one hundred percent, and and you're exactly right. That's why um, we were maybe harsh on him. Like I, I wouldn't be harsh on a player that I didn't think had it in them. Quite frankly, like an El Nenny, right? Because you know who yeah. he is and what he can do, and it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, precisely. I, you know, it, it's not that new party playing at the back or at least in the build-up like I remember when we played at Burnley in September and I was right behind the goal and actually it was um might have been one of Ramsdale's first games and I do think Ramsdale coming into the team has been a key to that because he can play that pass along the floor uh, through the lines but at Burnley it was it was party who was the one who was dropping to receive it was still much more of a double pivot at that point, but it was party. It was party, and then Xhaka was the next in the chain. Whereas, you know, for a few years we've had Xhaka as the first point in that chain, and it completely makes sense because party can go both ways. He can turn away from pressure. I think he's got a few different passes um, in his locker, and he can, whereas you know Xhaka, it's very much spin the ball up the line, um, up the left to Tierney. Um, and, you know, you remember that Brentford game, the first game of the season where it was just beyond parody, basically, <laughs> just Xhaka to Tierney, spam across in and hope for the best. 
Mm-hmm. So it's it's given us more angles of play, and I, and like I really like that connectivity between Party and Erdegaard. I think that's really really coming on. And and Party last night, like I was sitting there and I was like, this this is like, you know, he he looked like Vieira. That's and that's like one of the biggest compliments you can pay a player. It's just that kind of, yeah, come for me. I don't mind. I really don't mind. I enjoy it actually. If if you come for it. Um, and just like sucking players in and 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 that's like a problem a player like that gives you it's like if I go to close him down he will probably go past there's a good chance he'll go past me but if I stand off him he's got a pass on him mm-hmm. um, and we know he's got that diagonal pass from his time at Atleti so he's he's just been so fundamental and you and you know like you guys were saying you can just see where the next steps in this team are um, and you can see that like look we very much tried to sell Shaka last summer, right? It didn't happen and he was given a new contract, but like remember for most of the summer we were quite intent on selling him and that tells you that you know that's not because he's a bad player or anything, that's because we want a different type of player there. Now obviously they didn't think they could find that player and thought well okay, let's tie Shaka down for another year or two and and we'll sort it out later. But it it shows you you can see the footsteps in the sand basically of, of where this is all going and mm-hmm. and yeah I, I thought party was absolutely imperial I, I do think the one thing and I know Clive said this on his recording on the instant reaction I absolutely agreed with was at half time I was thinking not because Shaka was playing badly I was thinking ah like I was thinking like what's the substitution here because I don't really want to take anyone off like I think they're all playing quite well and I was like I'd, I'd love to put Smith Rowe on for Xhaka in this scenario and just have him in that left eight, um, which we have seen before. I was thinking that that's the sub I'd really like, but a little bit like going one nil down in the end, the fact that we didn't have Smith throw, I did. I do think it kind of worked for us because we had to do something a bit crazy. Um, We couldn't just go like for like at each each position. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, right. Okay. I definitely don't want to, I don't want to move Saka. He's doing good things. Don't want to move Lacazette. Definitely don't want to move Odegaard. Like lots of them are playing pretty well. And he did the Pepe for Martinelli thing. And it's like, right. I don't want to take any of those players off. And I haven't got Smith Rowe here. So I can't go like for like, so I've got to like, all right, I'm doing Nketiah for Cedric. I'm not sure he'd have done that if he'd had Smith Rowe, actually. I think we'd have seen another like-for-like like swap, which which might still have been enough, I don't know. But I, ju- I just felt like that was quite an interesting, that Arteta was almost forced, and I, and I don't want to take any credit away from him by saying that, but was almost forced into doing something quite outlandish, mm-hmm. um, which again ended up working for us very well. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree that that Enkedia for Cedric sub like that really won me over. Arteta really got me with that one because like I didn't feel like it was a night for like for likes, you know. And yeah. and we went like for like with the first one. I understand why we did it, but that that substitution changed the game. And Enkedia deserves big credit, by the way, because it's a it was a performance that we we don't equalize, let alone win the game without him. Um, I do want to come on to to the question of Lacazette's performance because I think there's so much meat on that bone and I feel so good for him. But like, I think since that's a big one, we need to take a deep breath. It gives me a chance to just remind you that when your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. We may have the best team, but if you don't, Indeed is there to give you the power to build a dynasty by hiring more of the best players faster. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. 
See, that's, that, that, that's a really nice feature. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match assessments and virtual interviews. You can go on these other job sites and literally be there for days and be like, what did I just look at? That's why you need Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description and you can invite them to apply right away Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. And according to Comscore, they're the number one job site worldwide. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 sponsored job credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire, you need Indeed. And... Spring is around the corner. Maybe not here in Minnesota, but in most of the normal places of the world. Spring is about regrowth. Spring is about things springing up through the ground, the world becoming fecund again, the the world growing. But when things grow, you need to prune them. You need to trim them. You know where I'm going with this. You need to manscape them. That's right. Don't let spring be about your personal body growth getting out of control. You need the Lawnmower 4.0. It is, I mean, it is just simply the best trimmer I have ever used. It is waterproof. It has a long battery life. It has induction charging, so you can just put it in a cradle. It's a bright light. It's got trimmers that use ceramic blades with skin-safe technology so that you don't have the nicks and the cuts. It's funny. I've been talking about this product for a while, but just like organically in the Discord, I noticed a bunch of people the other day being like, yeah, I got it. It's really good. I was like, see? See, this is what I'm talking about. We're not, we're not going to steer you wrong here. We're not going to be like, hey, get the Weed Cutter 7.0, which actually just leaves you bloody and, and disfigured. We're talking about the Lawnmower 4.0. It's the best product I've ever used for this. You're going to do trimming, use this. Then you can get their tonics. You know, they got the toner, they got the deodorant, they got the cologne, which is all um, you know, from natural and organic products. Plus, you get the Shed Travel Bag. Get the Performance Package 4.0. That's the way to go. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code ArsenalVision, save 20% and free shipping worldwide. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, 20% off plus free shipping worldwide. Clive, is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. There he is. There he is. Like a pro. All right, Clive, let's talk Lacazette. This is an interesting game because there were times in this game with Lacazette where I'm like, if we have A and other striker, we're winning this game 3-1-4-1, not losing it 1-0. And yet everything we did that's good at some level goes through or touches this player. Lukaku got pilloried the other day for having a game where he had seven touches and two of them were from a kickoff from this from the center circle well Alexander Lacazette had 47 touches he had three dribbles he had two key passes he had eight shots I mean in terms of pure involvement and he's dropping shoulders he's leaving people for dead he's dribbling past guys you know he was he was doing the things that really make this team tick and yet Times where he just does not get the shot off. You know, there was one where he could have laid it back to Odegaard and instead he tries to, to turn and spin and he fires it, you know, high wide and not so handsome. Like, it is the case that I think sometimes we want perfection with the final ball. And this team still has too many dangerous moves that don't result in really clear quality chances. That's the next step. And I think there were times in this game, Clive, where, where Lacazette was at fault for those moves not turning into great chances because the pass wasn't quite what quite right or the shot didn't quite get off. But when I look at a guy who finishes with, let's call it a goal, an, a really nice snapshot, by the way, from the right ha- half space, top of the six-yard box that's well saved, 
that has 47 touches, that has three dribbles, that has two key passes. Like, it's hard for me to say he wasn't crucial to what we did right. So how do you balance those things? Because I think we can see the ways that there's some things not happening for him, but I think it's also hard to 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 say he's not part of what's working as well. Yeah, it's a critical part. And there are, and I've got this, you know, fair enough, I've just picked up Scott's stats on Lacazette. And I thought, mm-hmm. crikey, I didn't realize he had that many shots. <laughs> he needs to <laughs> call that trick. <laughs> and, like, um, and what it tells me is that we were progressing the ball nicely and everything went to him and it just didn't quite work out. You know, his touches were off behind him. He turned the wrong way. And, you know, like like you always do when you're watching, you, th- you make substitutions in your mind. And so I had the same Smith-Rowe conversation myself that Tim had. I'm thinking, we need Smith-Rowe in that left eight. We can get away with it today because they've dropped off. You know, so you have that conversation. You look to the bench and think, crikey, there's nothing there today for that role. What do you do? What's he going to do? Centre forward, oh my God, if we had a centre forward, we, we, we're in, we've got him, we've got him. You know, and we just can't quite get the shot off. We can't quite run past people. We can't. We go on our left foot. The shot's weak. We go on our right foot. It's well saved. And I'm thinking, it's not going to work out. I've got Burnley in my head. It's not going to work out. Then he he runs back to the left back position, makes a tackle, right attacks out of there. I'm thinking, well, not many of our centre forwards going to do that sort of work. And this is the this is the other side of the game, right? It's the intangible side of the game. When, when you see someone doing those things, what does it do for the other players? What does it do for the crowd? What does it do for the atmosphere? What does it do for the players' lungs? Do they start working harder? Yes, they do. When their captain's doing all that stuff, I may think he's got lead and boots, but I don't give a monkeys. He's out there fighting for us all. Mm-hmm. And, he, and that's what he did. And he just led by examples. There's different ways of leading. And there's different ways of leading the line. And he's got his way. And now we've got more devastation in wide areas. He can almost be himself. And he's walked into a room of the youngest team in the league. And I can be the elder statesman, doing, elder statesman sorry, doing those intangible, ugly pieces of work. Man, I want to send a forward that can flash through and score. and We can have a nice, easy day and I can go out. Mm. But we haven't got that at the moment. We've got this. And he's giving everything he's got. And I've sort of put him and Shaka in the same sort of mould. They're both giving everything they've got. But we know there's another step, you know. And um, But like I say, this game is all about transfer windows and the window's shut. And so how can we maximise this player's abilities and energy? How can we surround him? I thought it was very smart for Marte to bring on Eddie late in the game rather than take him off and give him something else around him. So you've maximised him, you've enabled him by putting on somebody else to do some of the... The, the running and, and distract around him. I thought that was very clever. Um, and there's not much more to say, is there? I think he'll leave. You know, if someone said to me, do you want to sign a contract? What I want him to do is find a youth drug. That's all, really, and be 27 mm. again. Because the team uh, is ready for him now, whereas the team before was far more about he can only play with a barrier and we don't play two forwards. And we, we want a lot more from that centre forward in this sort of structure. We underpin him with better players. Mm. We've got better distributors on the back. And we've got wide players who are younger, sharper and committed. Right? And want to run beyond and stretch. It all starts in the back line. There's a reason why Thomas Parr is playing better. He's got two better centre-backs behind him that can pass. If you block him off, Ben White takes over, Gabriel takes over. And then if they go and mark them, he gets it off them and go forward. 
So there's a there's a whole unit here, really. And sometimes you walk into a room and the room suits you, and this room suits like that. I'm afraid he's going to be walking out of it, but there's a clear indicator on what we need going forward, and that is an all-action, big-space player that connects his team both to both sides and can really push a team back. And when we have that, um, maybe a bit younger, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, like, the Lacazette conversation and the Shaka conversation right now are probably a bit analogous in that you absolutely can't take them out of this side and be as good as you are, but you see those roles as being upgradable. And so you have to celebrate the good work being done by those players. But look, if you want your team to be the best team, every single player should be up for grabs for upgrading if it's possible, right? And that doesn't mean you're... You dislike the player you have. I mean, I've seen people saying, do we need to wonder about Tierney? Is there an upgrade opportunity there? That would have been unthinkable six months ago. But every, every position, when your team is starting to look this good, is a position that you you look at and you say, can we get a little bit better there? Because you know what we're not doing now? We're not, we're not taking a team that's broken and trying to figure out how to fix it. We're taking a team that's good and trying to figure out how to tweak it. And that's a very different position than we've been in for years. It was very easy to say, well, you have to take Mustafi out and upgrade that. No kidding. You have to take Kolasinac out and upgrade that. You have to take Willian out and upgrade that. But now it's a good team. And I said this on the Instant Reaction Pod, and I really believe it. You know, I don't have to do what I had to do six months ago, which is squint to see how the team could be good. The team just is good. Now it's about getting to that next level where you're competing for the really big things. You don't have to squint to see it anymore. Clive? Yeah, I just want to say one thing. There was, there was a good interview on Amazon, which I watched when I got in last night because I didn't sleep, um, where Arteta spoke about why he didn't get a signing in January. And he sort of said, I want the best people, the best players to be in this club and take us to the next level. And I think that's really important. And I think we all wanted certain signings in January to sort of take us over the line. But there's no point if they're not better people and can't are not as committed to the programme as well these group are and I think I think he's I said this before I really think he's looking to add some top quality to this group and to not just be a top four team that scrapes over the line but to stay there it's going to be so interesting the next phase of this group project shall we say yeah I'm not sure what he's going to do mate to be honest I'm not sure he might go two or three big ones and underpin with youth players that's, that, I, I would yeah I would just because the team's good now. So you need, you're going to need to add something really, I hate to use the phrase world-class, but world-class to improve it. Uh, uh, just on the statistical point that you said about Scott posting them, like, look, you can focus on the things the guy didn't get right, but eight shots, two on target, two in prime, one expected goal, 0.99 expected goals, two key passes, uh, 0.11 expected assists, 13 progressive passes received, five passes in the box received, 13 touches in the box. Remember, Lukaku had seven in a game, two were from kickoff. He had 47 total. 18 deep touches and 1.21 XG chain. I can see the places he had mistakes, but you can't say that's not an impactful game. And Paul, the the thing that I want to say also is just that like sometimes it's easy to root for players. And like he was close friends with Aubameyang. He probably doesn't have a future at Arsenal. You could see how it could have gone wrong. The manager falls out with his best friend. The best friend gets run out of town. He's out of contract in the summer. It's a project of young kids, and maybe he switches off a bit. Instead, he's wearing the captain's armband, playing 90 minutes till he basically can't move, celebrating the winner like he's just won the World Cup. The 
the thing that makes it easy for me to root for Lacazette, even if I, I want an upgrade there, is that you know, he's not getting to stand in the box and convert three, you know, tap-ins a game. He's have. I mean, there's there's a move where Odegaard, so there's a back-to-front move, Paul, that's making the rounds, the video's making the rounds on social media. And it, it, what makes it so pretty and why people love it is Odegaard does this beautiful dummy from a cross-field pass to start us going up the pitch. But the move starts with really nice one-two build-up play in our left defensive corner flag. Mm-hmm. And who's doing the one-two play and dropping a shoulder and walking, getting past a guy to start it? Is it Alexander, Alexander Lacazette? Lacazette. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, easy to root for, and the emotion of that that final goal, seeing what it meant to him, like I can't help it. I'm in. You know what I mean? He's got me. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Look, he does that on 65 minutes. He does that on 85 minutes. Um, there were a lot of concerns about Lacazette um, in terms of fitness, but the fact that we play him every game, every week. Um, like he's a 90, this was a 96 and a half minute long game. He went for all 96 and a half minutes. He was down into our left fullback corner on multiple occasions. <clears throat> the guy's got his fitness levels right back up uh, to probably the fe- fittest he's ever been at Arsenal. Um, he's putting it all out there. Um, the, I, I always had this challenge in, re- in recent weeks when, you know, we struggled in January and like our immediate reaction is, oh, we're we're not scoring goals. Change the striker. No, don't change the fucking striker. He's the guy that makes it all work when we play well. And the reason we weren't playing well was because we didn't have a midfield, not because we didn't have a striker. Um, we get our goals from wide, like many other top clubs do at the moment. Leave Lacazette alone till the summer. He's not our problem. Um. The only other issue we have in terms of a striker is our bench because it doesn't matter how good your striker is. You need somebody coming on at 70 minutes. You need options. You need other ways of playing. So we're still scratching our heads a little bit on that one, but that's the other big part of the 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 uh, what happened last night. It was our bench that changed things, and we didn't take Lacazette off. It was players that came in and supplemented with Lacazette, Eddie, uh, Pepe, and... <clears throat> um, who came on and were difference makers, but Lacazette was still in the middle, flopping and throwing himself around and working the ref and like doing all, like he's a big, big personality. And then you see the celebrations at the end of his goal from him, what the relief for him and what it meant. But the team just like he's he's kind of an emotional central point in a way nobody else kind of can be. Um and like, I, I don't think it was a good idea that Nuno kept hitting him on the head after he scored that goal with his knuckles. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> Everybody's grabbing his head and rubbing it. I mean, he's going to need that. Saka gave him a slap on the back. <laughs> yeah, he's, I don't know. How, what have we got? Nine days till our next game. He's going to need it. He's probably got like the concussion protocols are coming in. Um, and he had his his moment celebrating with the crowd. Like, I think he's kind of the emotional center of this team for the next couple of months. And, like, do not pull him out of the middle of it. It's like there are certain components in a helicopter engine that if you don't know exactly what they do, you you know what it's called and you know kind of know a couple of things it's connected to. I wouldn't yank it out of that engine because you'd you'd think you've a better idea how that engine should work. Mm -hmm. I think this guy's, like, in terms of how we play, in terms of how we access central areas – even when he's not great, if we're playing okay and good, 
like he might have a lot to do with it because of how we play. Um, it was it was a really big game for him, and I did unlike some of you uh, lily livered types. I didn't lose faith here. I was praying to the patron saint of uh, unlikely comebacks, Saint Stephen of Burgwine, and. <laughs> I I had a strong belief that we could get our uh, at least one goal and 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 once we got that goal I felt I really felt it was coming with these guys for that second goal and I don't normally get like I nor like Tim I normally settle for some kind of result I would have settled for a draw normally but like there's something Arteta's right there's something going on here and you talked about his halftime speech mm-hmm. uh, one of the things he threw in there was he told them look we're going to have if we want to get into the top 4 we're going to have to win two or three of these in the run in and like they did, they knew what the job was and they took risks to your point right but mm-hmm. you're going to have to and the risks play in your advantage because that's what pulled what pulled wolves out of position them going for us the few times they did yeah. we played from yeah. back to front and <clears throat> Lacazette always is a big piece of how we play and how through the middle. We used to not well, be able to play through the middle, and we've clarified the situation with Aubameyang. Uh, we certainly have. He's no longer with the club, and we know how we're playing through the middle, and it's Lacazette, and don't yeah. fucking change it. Don't change well, it. And, and here's the thing, right? <clears throat> the ultimate measure of whether it's working is if it's working for the team, not for the individual. Yep. And, and this is the point, right? Like, I think all of us agree that Lacazette <clears throat> is a potential opportunity to upgrade. The irony is I see some analogies, or uh, I, I think it's decently relatable to what Olivier Giroud was in a sense, because Giroud was critical to our buildup at times when, you know, Ozil and Alexis were exchanging passes with one another and he would wall pass it. And what were the criticisms? A little slow of foot, n- n- like to back flick rather than getting his shot off in the box. But I think we came to appreciate later how he facilitated things. Here's something to consider. I think January broke our brains a little bit because of the cup ties. But if you look at the league going back to the 11th of December, nine games, it's seven wins, one draw, and the loss to City, which was utter bullshit. Over that time, we are averaging over two expected goals per 90, 2.07. That's closing in on Manchester City level, okay? So if we are scoring freely and averaging a lot of good threatening play and winning, it's kind of hard to say the striker isn't good enough. I mean, so, I, you know, I, I struggle because I'm not trying to pretend that the flaws aren't there. They are. We saw them in this game. But the overall contribution is such that the team is working. And, Tim, the the other player who I think, you know, is, is critical on that and who I think has really been transformed is Martin Odegaard. Like, mm-hmm. it really requires you to keep an open mind with players because sometimes they're not the thing you think. And I said this in the instant reaction. I think... Mesut Ozil broke our brain in a way because we we see that kind of player and we think, oh, Odegaard's that kind of player, right? Expensively acquired from Madrid, number 10, playmaker, you know, flighty kind of player. Well, no. I mean, this guy covers more ground than anybody. I think he covered like 12K, you know, 12 kilometers in this um, in this game. He's, I think he's covered more ground than any player we have in the team this season. He has a tremendous engine, but he can just drip that extra bit of quality on the ball. And like Saka is thriving with him. That relationship looks absolutely brilliant. He drifts over to the left to play in uh, Martinelli that one time, but like he will win the ball back. He will dive into a challenge. You know, he will go to ground to take the ball away or to, to stop a counterattack. And 
the the power in his game has surprised me. The quality you knew was there, but he's not drifting out of games anymore. You you never ever fail to notice him now. Yeah, absolutely. I've 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 been a fan for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I really wanted us to sign him in the summer. I really liked what I saw last season. And I just thought that there's more here. There's more to work with. We all know about the talent of the player. We all heard of him when he was 15, 16. And, you know, Madrid was probably never going to be the environment to really realise that. And you, and I just had a good feeling about him and Arsenal as a fit. And uh, and I liked what he was doing earlier in the season as well. Even when he got, he got I say dropped for a couple of games. I mean, we, we changed the system um, and it was like Lacazette really playing that role, but doing it very differently. It was a very, is much more back to role goal, uh, back to goal role. Mm-hmm. Um, but Erdgaard, particularly the last, few, I think as soon as he came back into the team after that, I think we played Newcastle, and I thought he was the best player on the pitch. And I just thought, yeah, he's fine now, and he's just gotten better and better. And even in games like in December, like when we lost to Everton and Man United, I thought he was the best, our best player in those games as well. Like. He's like the team has come up to this level in the last few. I think he's been at that level for a little while and he's going up another level now. And it's it's always weird. Like, um, again, I, I don't want to create like a, a big split between, you know, people who watch in the stadium, stadium and people who watch on TV. It's, ju- it's just I have, a, a, a um, you know, a very stadium centric perspective just because that's how I kind of always experienced Arsenal. But sometimes it's really difficult to explain but you can just see players growing like you just see them close down space more and you know players who just particularly last night in a game like where you go one nil down against Wolves you just see those players sometimes who just go in that little bit harder who just run that little bit faster who just cover that little bit more ground who just really really want and demand the ball and I thought we really got that from Ben White I think we really got that from Thomas Partey and we really got that from Martin Odegaard as well you could just see him demanding the ball and when he got it everything he did was supercharged like Mm -hmm. there was a point um, I can't remember if it was just before the equaliser um, but he like throws a double step over in the centre circle it's not because he's trying to be fancy it's just his legs were just pumping at about 100 miles an hour. You could see the adrenaline going through him, but like it was harnessed, you it was controlled. You probably have a good, good seat to see that from, Tim, don't you? The- I don't like to talk about it, to be honest. But. <laughs> You've never mentioned it before, so if you want if you want to bring it up now, we'd be happy to listen. Where is your seat, Tim? Um, I mean, I sit in the East Upper on the, on the halfway line in the front row. So, oh, you know, nice. nice it's, it's a good vantage point. Can we get a um, camera angle from that too? Because I would love to see the whole pitch sometime. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's essentially, it's exactly where the camera would be were it on my side of the pitch. But anyway. If it had gotten as good a spot as you. <laughs> exactly. I picked first. That was the thing. Um, but yeah, like you, you can just see sometimes a player who's just like, no, I, I'm, you know, that that old phrase like grabbing a game by the scruff of the neck. And Erdogan, he did that last night. I think he's done that the last few games in truth. And I, I felt a little bit bad because I had to go at him on Twitter for not, um, you know, not shooting and passing on his right foot opportune moments. And I think I was absolutely right in that criticism, by the way. But I thought, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not backing down on that one. Um, but he. I, I thought he was brilliant against Brentford. I really did. Um, you know, that bugbear aside, and I thought he was absolutely... When I think back at the end of this season to what were like the best individual performances I saw this season, I think Erdegaard will come up several times. Mm, yeah, I mean, I 
I just love the player. I'm so glad we have him. It looks like absolute highway, highway robbery that we got him. But what I love is he looks so suited to the Premier League. He, he's got that Kevin De Bruyne thing about him where he can drip quality on the ball. But if you need running power, he has that too. So good for him. Clive, we, we, we got to talk about the subs though. I mean, there's such an important part of this, this night. And it was always going to be the case that Nicola Pepe was going to have to influence our run-in. He is too talented to just be forgotten. And Mikel Arteta, to his credit, has been talking him up recently, been saying he looked different. And he's been repaid because he's he's given him, you know, a goal that I don't know any other player at Arsenal scores necessarily. And the thing about Pepe is like you stick him out on the wing at the edge of the box and give him the ball, and it's a lot of it slows the game down a lot. He he holds it, he holds it, he holds it, he looks, he faints, he shakes, he shimmies, he looks, and then he gives it back to the fullback. But like you put him in the box under pressure, and the instincts that he has are are extraordinary. I said this before. I think he is our most talented player. Now, the problem for him is the delta between when you see the, the big talent moments from him and his worst moments is really wide. And that, that's not great in football because y- you don't want to have to worry, am I going to see the worst or the best? Saka, I think, is our best player in terms of consistent excellence. But we saw in that moment of brilliance that, that Pepe can do something that maybe no one else in the team can do. And I, I think, you know, look, he, he gets roasted down the right, right-hand right flank to nearly give the game away late. But, like, I, I just think these are two cameos he's had now where he's looked really good and and clearly made a case for being a very, very important part of the team down the stretch, even if it's just off the bench. Yeah, I often talk about roles, and um, Lacazette's found his role. And, and we can now talk about him in the context of this role and this group and this team and where he plays and how he plays. Pepe, for me... I think he's one of those players that does things which are uncoachable and he does things which really need to be coached right? desperately. Like um, when he made that defensive run, we were out of position badly. Ben White was out of position and all Pepe had to do was just get back goal side. You're quick enough and just delay him so Ben White could get back into shape. What does he do? He gets back next to him and dives in. And then White's thinking, oh my God, what are you doing? I just need you to slow down a bit so I can get back to help you out. That's just like enthusiasm. And by the way, I'm not a right wing back. And I'm now <laughs> caught in a position that I know you sort of smile to yourself and think, oh man, I can fix that easy with a with a quick chat. And next time, just delay him and shoulder barge him out and give away a foul and get a booking because you never get booked. It's not a drama. But it, it, it's just a mistake, right? So, But then when you see him in the box and you see the tension around our finishing and shot selection and pass selection in the last third, it comes to him, I ask you the question, how did you feel? You felt all right, didn't you? Exhilarated. <laughs> you felt all right because he just, he's just flexible. He turns round. He turns the right way at the right moment. Strikes through the ball, doesn't kick the case off the ball, clips it into the net, see that keeper nice and early. So you haven't got a chance to set yourself and see what I'm doing because I'm not sure what I'm doing. If I open my body out too much, you know where I'm going. If I clip you early, you have to make a save quick and I beat you. And and that and that's it. Uh, where he's really got better, we said last week, he's moving the ball quicker. He's got a good combination player there. And I, what I really liked was his secondary movement to get closer to the box. And that's the key for him. So if I'm anywhere near him, I'm saying to him, do your stuff. When you're in lane five, get rid of it quick and move the next ball. We want you near the box. Get it? Be, the, be our positional guy, wide on the touchline. But when you get it, don't keep it. Move it, combine, and then go again. 
And then if you're getting it on the run, you're getting it into the areas where we know we haven't got nothing to tell you because we can't coach you around the box because what you do there is God-given. I've heard something on, on Twitter the other day about don't run away from your gift. Run mm. towards it. We're all good at something. Run towards your gift. Speak for yourself. Yeah? <laughs> and don't run away from it. Run towards it. And his gift is around the box. His heart rate drops. His ability to see things clearly and finish under pressure is top level. Don't run away from it. And coaches, by the way, make sure he gets to the areas that you need him to be to benefit you. You know, and um, so talent-wise, I agree with you. That not an issue there. That's where I think Odegaard is top talent, by the way. <laughs> not an issue there. Or was it Saka? I'm not too sure. I change every week. <laughs> was it Ben White? Oh, shit. <laughs> so, like, um, <laughs> this is the good stuff, right? This is the good stuff. But, I know what you mean by talent. He's got, a, he's got, a, a, to the eye, he looks super, super talented in one-on-ones. But the issue has been engagement for me. Engagement well, in the moment. And so, go ahead, so can I bring up a point about that? Because I, I know, look, sometimes I fixate on the weirdest stuff and you guys are like, what are you talking about? But like, so this is where I need Tim's memory. Olivier Giroud scores the Scorpion goal. Remember that? Yeah. And the next game, I think, we're playing some. We, all right, we're playing Bournemouth. We're behind. <laughs> I can't remember he, that. <laughs> he, he equalizes and runs off to the corner, doing a oh, yes. an homage right. to a scorpion goal, while his teammates are like Olivier back to the center circle. You remember that? Yeah. Yes. They're like trying to and like I, Pepe has been out in the cold. He hasn't had much of an influence. He hasn't been able to really be part of the group. He comes on and he scores an absolutely sensational goal of the highest quality in a critical moment to equalize in front of the home fans. And what does he do? He grabs the ball and runs straight to the center circle. And maybe, again, Clyde, maybe I'm focusing on one of these things where you're like, you're going on about nothing. But like that, we think of Pepe as this luxury player and everything's nice. But like in that moment, I said, you know what? He gets it. He gets it. Let's go win this game, you know? That's a really good point. I wouldn't have mentioned it, so I'm glad you did. I think it does send a message. And at that moment in time, I, my my feeling was just relief. But obviously the players, were they were somewhere else. They were saying, we got these. We can beat them. Do you know what I mean? And and by doing that, he transmitted that absolutely massively. So And um, Tim just reminded me, by the way, too, he just had a baby yesterday. And Arteta said, hey, you know, you, you don't have to be here. And Pepe texted him, Tim's messaging me this right now though to be Brilliant. fair i had spotted earlier texted him at 3 a.m to say he wanted to be in the squad and he comes out and he does that you know what i didn't, <clears throat> I didn't know that that's actually fantastic so it's back to where we started this is all about people it's all about are you committed to this and he's now got the people who are committed we may not have got 28 people in the squad anymore so many people that we can't even name them and they're picking up wages and buying houses in different parts of the world we haven't got that anymore to make us feel comfortable what we have got is a group of players that some are perfect and some are imperfect, but they're all on board. You can't fall the punter. I always say it, you can't fall the punter. Either get on the boat or get out. And that's the way it has to be, right? It has to be that way because that's what, that's that's the least, as fans, that we can expect that people are committed to the cause and, like we are. And you can't fool the punter at this point. Why is the Emirates so behind the team, even losing at home to Wolves? Why was it so energized? They see the improvement. We see the improvement. We're not watching a team with 40% possession repel attacks to get five shots to try to chase a game. We're seeing a team produce the highest expected goals total against Wolves this season. The team with the second best defensive record in the league, 27 shots. You can't fool the punter. And the punters see that this team is good. 
this team is good. And, you know, everybody stayed to the end to see it. Everybody was engaged. Tim, I think it was a, there was a game recently. Maybe it was the Wolves game where Wolves fans were leaving before full time yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I just put in the chat there that I posted a photo uh, at full time yesterday and I just looked at it and I, I just can't see any empty seats. I can't tell you how rare that is. Um, for a midweek home game. And yeah, Clive's just reminded, and this is something you and I, Elliot, talked about um, before we started recording, the singing afterwards. Like it took ages to get to the station, which was fine because people were stopping and like singing outside. And and, and I can't remember the last time that happened. Mm, yeah, it, it's brilliant to see. Well, uh, you know, Paul, I think I don't want to lose him in this. And that's Eddie and Kedia. I'll raise my hand. I've been critical. I thought his performance against Burnley wasn't good. And I thought his performance at Wolves away was really disheartening because it didn't seem like he was fighting for the cause in the way everyone else was. And you can get yourself in trouble with soft factor analysis like that because it can wind up looking silly the very next game. And sure enough, Enkedia is a crucial part of this. Um, He gets the assist to Pepe, even though I I think maybe he's trying to pull it back to Lacazette. Um, It's a little behind Pepe, I'm not sure. But like, I don't think any, you know, he gets to the byline in in a situation where another player maybe doesn't get to the byline. And then he's involved in the, in the lock of goal as well. I, I think it's a really good cameo from Enkedia, who's very direct, a lot of hard running, push defenders all the way back to the byline, which inevitably is going to open things up around the penalty spot. So maybe just a really quick, you know, I don't want to over-egg it, but I, th- yeah. I think credit where, where it's due. Yeah, look, he's a talented player. Uh, it hasn't exactly happened for him at Arsenal, but he hasn't always had the the setup that maybe he would love uh, to shine. Like most of his, his starts and major minutes were playing for us when we had seven shots in a game or six, or the ball was going around in a horseshoe, but not into the box. So in many ways we haven't seen what Eddie can or can't do, but, and the bigger issue with the Wolves game like what he did was okay. He ran around a bit. There wasn't too much for him to do. Run around a bit, chase a few people. Really, his body language was way off. And being the age that he, the energy he brought, that transmission thing that Arteta talks about. Now it's significant. And I bet he learned something because there's no way he's not on the social medias. And basically everybody ripped him. So he's come back, right? I'm sure they've talked about it internally. He's. He's got the message. He's got the memo. Last couple of times he's come on, he's been energy. He's been effort. Uh, that is a really good cutback. I mean, <clears throat> we can overegg where a ball goes in the box. Look, they put it into good areas. After that, it's the other player's job to get onto it. That's a really good, sharp cutback from a tough angle at a critical point. He's fast. He makes the run. <coughs> Excuse me. There's plenty of other running. Like, what are you going to want from a guy coming off the bench? Uh, Make the runs, put the ball into good areas, hope some shit happens, and and Pepe pulls out a moment of genius. And so, to your point, let's not over-egg it. Um, The bench came up big, and the bench was basically uh, Pepe and Eddie in this game. And in any case, we're looking forward, right? What matters is what's this do for the team, the belief for these guys uh, becoming significant contributors. Uh, We kept Lack on. We brought on Pepe and Eddie, and shit happened. We made stuff work, 
and we go again. And that's, the, you know, at, at least it gives us all a bit of belief and him a bit of belief and the team a bit of belief that when he comes on, he can make something happen. And that may be enough for a while. And maybe he'll get the chances at some stage uh, before the end of the season where he could actually be a striker in the centre and we're creating opportunities and he can work his magic in the penalty box because he's a very yeah. clever finisher. Yeah, well, I think, Tim, we can finish with this. There have been bumps along the way to get here. I said this earlier. This team was broken and needed to be fixed. And when a team is broken and needs to be fixed, sometimes the analysis is easier because it's easy to spot where it's broken and it's easy to spot what's not working. This team is fixed in my view. Now it needs to be tweaked. And that's a little harder to analyze because saying we can upgrade on Lacazette isn't the same as saying he's bad or saying that we can get a better left eight than Shaka isn't saying Shaka's bad. And it's the little tweaks. But, I, you know, I tweeted this the other night after a few drinks, admittedly. And I said, look, I've been mixed in my reaction to Mikel. And people at both ends of the spectrum have let me know what they think of that. Fair enough. Mm. But I do feel very fortunate to have Mikel and be invested in what we are trying to do rather than dealing with Spurs type of situation in general. It's been my opinion that changing managers isn't the end of the world and is generally smart if you have serious doubts about them. But showing some patience and trusting someone whose philosophy is sound sure beats getting bantered off by your mercenary manager du jour. And I, I finished it by saying, so in summation, leave it to Spurs to make me appreciate what I have as an Arsenal supporter. I guess what I want to finish with is in this moment, this sort of ebullient celebratory moment where we really feel like things are coming together and the team, the fans are behind the team and the team is fighting for each other and the unity is there, but there's also fun football to watch. Do you... Do you think that now the patience we have shown that we've not always been prepared to show, to be fair, I'll hold my mm-hmm. hand up and say that, that this looks now like we have gone from a broken team with a lot to fix to just a plain old good team where the next step is just the tweaks, the tweaks at the margins, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I you know, I wrote something last week about who the, the, the next captain might be next season. And it was like, there are five or six players I'd be more than happy with, you know, and uh, and and you've got to say like credit to both Arteta and Edu because yeah. like they've brought those players in, and even the ones they haven't like bought bought like Saka and Smith Rowe, like they've given them the number seven, the number ten, the contracts and everything like that. They've not been afraid to to throw them in as well, and you know all the questions. I was thinking about the other day, all the questions we asked, like, is this it with the football? Are we going to progress to something a bit more, you know, a bit more progressive? And we have, and those questions have been answered. I I, I agree with you. Like, I've my my contention is always, but I I, th- I don't think I ever went fully like he has to get sacked now. I think. I think I was for quite a while. I was in a well. If he got sacked tomorrow, he couldn't really complain. Yep. Um, but it's it's been it's so hard to see the wood for the trees when you've got a manager who's managing for the very first time, and there isn't that sense of pattern um, in your head. So I, what I'll say is, I think the club took a really brave decision to do it, and that's why I was I was behind it um, at the time, and also just because I felt like. Again, I, I keep saying we were forced into it. Like I, I don't think we were forced into it, but basically there was a, a real lack of options on the market, both when we hired Emery, let's be honest, and then when we came to do it again, and it was like, God, do we just keep churning through like Ancelotti's and like Spurs, Nuno's and Conte's and <laughs> stuff, or do we just like do we just like go for the mystery box here? Um, and and go with a bit of a, a clear project, and, and it has to be said as well that initially, 
like I do think this kind of the team we've put together, it's quite recent, you know, like most of the players we really like and have taken to were signed last summer, basically, other than Partey and Gabriel. Like the last two summers, you know, Partey and Gabriel and Mm -hmm. the lot we bought last summer, you know, there's a Willian in there as well. (laughs) There's like an Abamian contract we shouldn't have done as well. But it it's it it does feel really really rewarding and and Arsenal Arsenal had to do that in my view whether it was Arteta I I can't honestly say I was always sure but Arsenal had to do something like that and and I'm watching like Tottenham and Man United now feeling almost like a bit smug um, which I shouldn't because there's every you know there's every chance that one or both could still finish above us but I'm looking at them thinking you've got to hit. I hope you don't, but you've got to hit that moment of realisation that we hit when we just went, do you know what? We we can't keep bumbling along like this. We've got to do something a bit radical. We've got to rip this up. And I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at that and thinking, you'll get there. You'll get there because we got there and it feels like we're really benefiting from it at the moment. Yeah, well said. Um, I think <laughs> it's it's also the case that like you can just... Like, for example, the fact that, like, Cedric is looking good in this team right now, right? It's the point that when everything is broken and a team isn't playing well, that's when you really notice the weak links. And then you get it working, and people buy in, and the system looks good. And then suddenly the players that you might not have thought of as being very good can suddenly look okay because the whole thing is working. And, you know, I mean, it speaks volumes, by the way. We've gone through this whole podcast, and we haven't said much about Pakaio Saka, right, who just... Usual brilliance, five shots, six key passes, or the other way around, whatever. Like, it's all good. But, uh, Paul, you want a, a final few seconds before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, we're talking about other clubs, other managers. You bring up Conte, and I think think you're being a little harsh on him, as I, I said on the Instant Reaction podcast. There's no word in Italian for Spursy. He didn't know. So he had no idea. He didn't understand. You can try and explain it, but he'll never understand it. I mean... I, I don't know where he was for the it's the history of the Tottenham comment, but he certainly should have been paying attention. And now he is part of that history, and I, for one, am here for laughing at him. Let's leave it there. We we are going to do a both-half rewatch of this next week um, for patrons. We will have a data review of it with Giant Gooner, and then we'll have, obviously, the regular pods and some live streams and stuff, so there'll be something for everybody. The most important thing is that we're all here together. We're all in the boat, on the journey, whatever you want to call it, but you can't fool the punter, as Clive always says, and I think we can see now that there's something special happening. So, football can make you look silly. You didn't lose three on the bounce, and suddenly people are bringing up your ebullient tweets or this podcast episode saying, ha ha, you thought everything was fixed. But, like, right now, yeah, right now, everything sure does look pretty good and we've got a while to enjoy that so i hope you do enjoy it i hope you have a wonderful weekend wherever you are and again uh for those people in harm's way we we certainly wish you safety health sanity well-being and hopefully a quick resolution so paul's on twitter pause my pants thanks pause class on twitter clive pfc thanks clive thank you very much tim's on twitter thank you tim my pleasure as always my name is elliot smith you can and should and must block me on twitter yankee gunner we love you and we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 uh watford now